tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30 and of course you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up of course we have to say a very good morning to Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants. Morning Stephen. Good morning Pam and good morning everybody out there and I think it's going to be a great day to be out in the garden. It's not going to be too perfect, hot. Perfect. It's just going to be lovely. It yep. doesn't look like there's going to be a big wind blow up on us or anything like that. So yeah. Out and about, that's what we should be doing. Absolutely. And enjoying the garden while we can and getting things tidied up ready for the sort of part of the year I hate most, summer. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so we need to be prepared and ready for that. So we need to get the garden in tip-tip-top condition. And, of course, the weeds have been growing well. Everything else has been growing well. The grass has probably gone nuts. So, yes, you don't want to let things sort of slide at this time of the year. Well, we have had a combination of, of reasonable rain plus your sunshine, so yeah. that's why everything's just going yeah. crazy. And then you get a day like, when was it, last Thursday or something like that, where it's stinking hot with a howling northwesterly, and you think, my God, where did that come from? Mm. Uh, I actually had a laburnum, which I've got to clamber into the garden and find out what's happened, but a laburnum in full flower collapsed after that day, just oh. died uh, almost instantaneously. And I've got an awful feeling that perhaps the wind has actually cracked the roots under it. Right. Uh, so I haven't clambered into the border to see what's gone wrong, but it just died virtually overnight. Goodness. So I wouldn't have thought just the hot wind would have been enough, and laburnum's no. reasonably hardy. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, it's definitely dead, and it just happened virtually overnight. Oh. So I think it's the only fatality so far but yes as you go into summer you start wondering what's going to make it and what's not sometimes when we get this unseasonal weather yeah and of course you know 
they're talking about some cold weather as well, potentially. And wasn't it yesterday there was supposed to be potentially snow down to a 1,000 metres or something or another? And you think, I've just put in the tomato seedling. What's going on? <laughs> so anyhow, who knows? Well, they forecast thunderstorms, but we didn't get them yesterday. No. So I don't mm. know what's going on. But I spent, I spent last week, and incidentally, a big thank you, AB, for filling in for me last week because I was up in... Uh, the Northern Rivers area, close to the New South Wales-Queensland border. Oh, yes. Yeah. And uh, smoke, talk mm. about smoke from all the bushfires. Oh, yuck. Even though they weren't sort of right next to where I was, um, you know, the, the whole atmosphere was smoke-filled. You couldn't see into the distance. The mountains were obliterated, mm-hmm. you know, and you could smell it in the air. So, yeah, doesn't bode shocking. well, does it? No, it doesn't. It's, it's a nightmare. It really is. And, of course, it's in all the national parks up there, yeah. and they're just having to let it go. There's so, nothing near the Wollamai uh, National Park, is there, have we heard? Uh, I don't anyway, know. Is there, John? This guy. Oh, <laughs> yeah, good, <yes>. good morning. <laughs> John Arnott, <laughs> um, <laughs> manager of horticulture. Let me do it right. Cranbourne no, Botanic Garden. Excellent. Um, good morning, folks. Uh, it is in the Wollamai National Park but they'll be doing everything they can yeah. uh, to stop it from getting to the stand of one of my pines. Right. But it, no, it, uh, I had a look on a fire map on Friday. Yeah. Uh, it's it, and right in the Wollamai National Park. Park. Oh. I mean, I, no one really... I mean, people do know mm. the location of the, the, the pines, but it's, um, it is still a pretty well-kept secret. Yeah. Yep. Um, but I'm sure <clears throat> in terms of um, asset protection... Oh, it would be, be just um, absolutely devastating, yeah, wouldn't it? You yeah. know, after you know millennium of this thing existing, yeah. to just lose it in one fell swoop would yeah. be just awful. Be awful. Yeah. The um the f- the fires are burning in some really unusual um, landscapes. I mean, some of the rainforest and rainforest margins have been. That's right, and they were lush through. and green, but yeah. they they're still catching. You know, the Lamington National Park and yeah. Barrington Tops and places that you, yeah. you, you, you normally associate as, you know, wet and, you know, too damp to burn. That's yeah. right. It's, it's kind of disconcerting. Oh, yes. Yeah. But huge areas. Um, mm. We had a look at the fire map and these, these fires are they're on a scale that is just uh, possibly unprecedented. I'm not sure. Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yes. One of the many reasons I don't like summer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah summer's it, tough, isn't it? It is, it's it tough, is and it seems tough. to be getting tougher. Yeah. Um, I don't care what anybody says, as far as I'm concerned, I don't remember having the sorts of weather patterns we've got now when I was a kid living at Mount Macedon. It was a different sort of thing altogether. Yeah. Um, we got colder, wetter winters, um, uh, and we didn't get the sort of excessive heat in the summer. We had yeah. our hot days, mm. but we didn't get 45 and no. things like that. Yeah. It was just ridiculous. So, uh, yeah, so I, I don't look forward to going into the summer. So, Well, um, I mean, when I, when I was a kid, firstly, in the middle of winter, we would get fogs, you know, mm. so thick that um, we couldn't, the trains would stop running. We couldn't catch the train up to our high school. Yeah. And secondly, you would love that. <laughs> oh, we love that, <laughs> all right, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but secondly, I mean, we all remember breaking ice on puddles. Yeah. yeah. Now, that doesn't happen anymore. No, you very rarely Just see it like happen. that. Yeah. yeah. yeah so the, the weather patterns have changed. Well, as a child at Mount Macedon, of course, we, we lived fairly high up on the mountain. We were up in about the last few houses before you went into the park. Right. And uh, we would get snowed in at least a couple of times a winter right. where you couldn't get a car out. Mm. Um, and that rarely happens anymore. Yeah. I mean, we had one reasonable dump winter before last. Um, 
But, you know, you used to get it two or three times a year up there where you'd get snowed in and, and you couldn't get out or yep. up the mountain or yep. whatever. Um, and that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, you know, so, and our summers are different. The whole seasonal thing is different. Uh, our autumns seem to be going on longer. They're they hotter do. and drier. Yes. Um, you know, so the whole weather pattern's weird. And, you know, especially if you're trying to manage vegetable gardens. Mm. You really don't know what you're doing anymore. I mean, you used to say, all right, well, you make sure you plant your, your summer crops by cup day and you do this and you do that and you get your garlic in at a certain mm. time and all that sort of stuff. It doesn't seem to work anymore. No. You've just got to take a punt with most things nowadays. And it, it's, it's interesting that... Um you know, that this you know, change in climate, it, it's actually starting to present as a threatening process for plant species. Mm. There's, um, we've, we've had a couple of expeditions up onto far north Queensland peaks. Um, there's a sort of a unique flora on, uh, I think there's seven peaks above 1,400 metres in, in Queensland. Okay. Uh, and they're cloud forests. They're like true mm. cloud yes, forests, rhododendrons right. and yeah. you know, those types yeah. of... Um, and the climate projections are suggesting that the... That I think there's nine metres of precipitation on those mountains. Oh, <laughs> goodness me. And the, the predictions are that that's going to come down and be, you know, a little bit ir- more irregular. Yes. Um, and it'll get a little bit warmer. Uh, so there's a, 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 a big project which has been run by James Sturt University and the Queensland Herbarium to actually collect 70 of the endemic species which are growing on these mountains and bring them into botanic gardens collections, secure them in collections. There might be mm. some really interesting material for you. Yes. Coming out I'd love to have a, a look at some of that stuff. A lot of those sort of um, um, ericaceous sort yeah, of yeah. Plant, plants that come from those sort of altitudes. Oh, and there's some really interesting um, things in the African violet family. The oh, Chesnerians. yes, all the Gesneriads. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. A couple that. of species of boia and like some really interesting mm. things. Yeah. yeah. Well, so they're all plants that should come into cultivation. Yeah, they yeah. are. Yeah, they are. Absolutely. So keep me in mind. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it, it is interesting. And, and there's another species of... Uh, there's a little daisy that grows at Mount Bogong. Um, and it's fed by the, by the summer thaw of, yeah. the, of, of the snows. Um, and the areas where the summer thaws would still persist, the snow would persist, if it hadn't persisted. So it, it's lost its water source. It's, oh. it's permanent water source. So, you know, these things are starting to, it's, they're starting mm. to present as threatening processes. Mm. Yes, it is a bit frightening when yeah. you think that the natural sort of environment is breaking down to that extent where plants are now suddenly at risk. Yeah. That's um, right. Yeah. And, of course, things like alpine stuff, they don't have anywhere else to go. No. They can't go any higher because there no. isn't any such thing. No. Uh, and so they're sort of trapped on these peaks. And, yeah. and if the weather changes dramatically, yeah. they're just going to go. They're still just disappear. They're little Islands, aren't they? Yeah, they're, they're that's just, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but there are some fascinating plants coming into. Uh, they're sitting on the bench at the nursery at the moment. Mm, um, fabulous. Some really interesting things. Great. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we've had, yeah, we've had three expeditions. So there. is Cranbourne going to have a cool conservatory for things like that potentially? Look, it's. Our task is to propagate them and then distribute them yeah, to, so get them to, to suitable growers. Yeah. Um, and that's likely to be the cool climate gardens. So mm-hmm. the Mount Tomar, um, uh, Tasmanian Botanic Gardens yeah. will, yep. will, will likely get them. Um, 
what uh, Mount Lofty, yes, Dandrill yeah. Ranges Botanic yeah, Garden. Yes, yeah, so they're all high enough all where they may have habitats <coughs> where these plants will survive. Indeed, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, thinking places like uh, Mount Macedon would be ideal. Oh, some, some of, of our gardens up there would yeah. be fabulous places yeah. to grow some of that stuff. So, so we are looking at places, suitable places, suitable gardens to... Um, mm. Uh, to secure these plants in absolutely, in yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. but how exciting! Yes, yeah, I mean exciting in one way, but what a shame that it, it's got to <clears> happen <throat> this way. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a, it's um it is. Yeah, <laughs> no, it is. <clears throat> but it's it is a um it's a it's an interesting thing, thing to be involved with. They're, it's a little bit like captive animals in a zoo. There's a, mm. there's some elements of that to this project. Okay, yeah, you know yeah there is. Yeah. Yes, you sort of. Uh, um, securing them. securing them, but you know, th- you, there's no guarantee that they'll ever have a habitat to go back into. So yeah. we might be keeping the plant material going, but you're right. But it's sort of like putting it in a zoo. It's it ends, yeah, yeah, it could well disappear in the wild, mm. uh, which would be really sad. That's it. I think these things have got a lot of these plants that grow on these mountains have got um, lots. They're, they're probably tougher than what we think. There's a thing called Primnopides ladii, which is a uh, Potocarp, yeah, Potocarp thing. Yeah, I've got one in the garden at home that's up around about two metres tall now of that Pernopides. Lovely thing. And, and it's a gorgeous tree, um, and it does seem to be pretty tough. I mean, mine Super gets tough. very little summer irrigation because yep. I forget it's there. Yep. It's on a raised bed. Uh, in fact, if I try and water it, the water tends to run <laughs> <Right>. off. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and um, it's really pretty. I mm. think it's a lovely conifer. And, you know, Australian, well, Southern Hemisphere conifers are getting a bit of a resurgence because of the Woolamai pine and other mm. things that sort of have made them sort of publicly aware yeah, yeah. about these plants. And that Pernopides is a beautiful thing. Well, we've got it at the Cranber Gardens. Mm. Uh, hot, pretty dry, north-facing. Yeah, and it's fine. It's magnificent. Yeah. It's not only fine, it's actually magnificent. Yeah, well, there you go. So, you know, whilst there's all of that precipitation that happens on, on those mountain peaks, because there's so much, it's a bit like in some of the New Zealand flora, mm. because there's so much precipitation, all the soil has washed away, and these things are... Yeah, they're just rock. hanging in there. Yeah, yeah right. Know, accumulated organic matter on rock. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, during the dry season, they, they, they would probably dry out for extended periods. You mm. know, maybe not months, but weeks yeah. and weeks. Yeah. So they're probably a little bit more dry tolerant than what we mm. might Well, think. certainly my Pronopides is doing very well in the garden at home, and I've lost other Potocarpaceous things in my... Is that a family? I'm not sure. Yeah, but yeah, anyhow, the yeah, Potocarps. Yeah. Uh, I've lost others in the garden that I've tried that just haven't... Too yet. hot. Yeah, it got too dry. Yeah, too dry. Uh, my soil tends to get hydrophobic in the summer, and so it's really hard to get moisture in. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I've lost a few of the other things in that group, but the Pronopides has been fantastic. Yeah. So. I mean, Rhododendron Lockyer is mm. pretty tough. Mm. You can grow that in full sun at low altitudes. Mm. So, so, look, that's the interesting thing, though. We'll be understanding the environmental tolerances of these plants, and that'll inform... Um, conservation activities into the future, you'd think, for sure. you'd hope. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's a really significant project. Yeah, yeah. yeah. John, um, I noticed that uh, there was a press release the other day to say that uh, Royal Botanic Gardens Victoria have won a, another major tourism award. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's great. good. That is good. I think that was on Thursday night or Friday yeah. night last yep, week. Yep. Yeah, but that in, that's encompass, encompassing both Melbourne and Cranbourne. Uh, look, I think it was actually the Melbourne Gardens that took out the award. Oh, well, they're saying, they're saying in the press release that, that, it's, that, both. that it's both. Well, I'll claim some so of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. <laughs> when it's there. That's right. We'll claim, of course. I mean, <laughs> the, uh, the, the world-famous Cranbourne Gardens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
we, we, that's a little, we get a little bit cheeky. We refer to the Melbourne Gardens as the small garden. <laughs> <laughs> well, in one sense, it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're a thousand acres. Yeah. Yes. 360 hectares. Yeah. Yeah, no, fabulous news. Really, really good news. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, oh, you know, I think there was a, uh, a survey done... It was a few years ago now, it was the Bureau of Statistics, and it indicated that botanic gardens are the most visited cultural um, institutions in Australia. Mm. They visited more than cinemas, visited more than you know, zoos, and mm. so, yeah, they're the most visited places. Yeah. In, that we, get, that we, we love our botanic gardens. And yeah. it's good when they get an award like that because it does put them up into the eyes of the bureaucrats yep. again. Yep. That's because right. Because they need to be aware because nobody's being charged to go in yep. to, to the botanic gardens they tend to sort of ignore it a wee bit, but when yeah. it wins a big award like that, yeah. they go, oh, hold on, this thing is actually really important to us, so it's, it's great. Our yeah, bet- our botanic yeah gardens, no, it's terrific. They really do have social capital. Mm. Yeah. Um, and we should be levering off that a bit more than what we do. Yeah. I'm thinking of the regional botanic gardens, the kind of... Yeah, yeah, yes, 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 all our little regional gardens, the, the they're, they're really important. Yeah, um, yeah. And in Victoria, certainly, we've got more than anywhere else, so yeah. mm. we've certainly got uh, quantity on our side, yeah. considering yeah. how many provincial botanic gardens we have. Um, and some of them are historically really important, because yeah, some of them date back you know, well over 100 years and more, yeah. uh, and regularly have trees of quite significant... Yeah value in the gardens. Mm. Um, in fact, it's probably hardly a provincial botanic gardens that doesn't have a few registered trees within it, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah, no, for, sure. Um, for sure. And some of them are really interesting old things like the, the um, Chilean wine palms that got spread all over the place, I'm assuming, by Von Mueller. Yeah. Um, he was very good at, at, at spreading trees. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, nearly all the big old provincial botanic gardens have got their Chilean wine palm yes, in place. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And they're now enormous big fantastic looking trees yep. um, and that's another plant that's under threat in the wild yep. Um, yep. Uh, it's nice to see that it's sort of got a home within botanic gardens and it's one of those plants that's starting to come back into favour as a garden plant Is that again. Right? Yeah, I, I'm regularly getting people asking for it. And it's funny, it's the foodies that oh. are <laughs> pushing this because the Chilean wine palm has little tiny coconuts on it that actually taste just like coconut, but they're small. Um, it's going to take 50 to 100 years before they start fruiting. <laughs> but the foodie people think, well, because it has edibility, we better plant some. Right. But we need third generation along before they, anybody's actually cropping any of them. But the there's nothing wine. wrong no, with that. Right. That's good. But, oh, look, I don't care why it's making people buy it. I mean, if they're planting it because it's sort of tenuously edible, good for them. I don't care, <laughs> yeah. even though they'll never live long enough to eat any. Um, but it's really good to see some of these things coming back again because I was actually talking to um, uh, a lady in the nursery the other day who's a palm collector. Um, she was actually featured on Gardening Australia at some stage in the last couple of years. Okay. And she's getting seed from all over the place from all the different palm nerds. So she's got palms from all over the world that you just don't see. Yeah. Um, and so she arrived with some palms and she went away with some other stuff, which was fantastic. So I ended up with a... Um, uh, Chinese windmill palm, oh, nice. Trachycarpus uh, princeps, which is nice. beautiful, nice. and and a Madagascan palm. She gave me a, oh. a Dipsis, um, which is supposedly the most high altitude palm in Madagascar, and cool. she reckons it'll grow for me. Fantastic. Uh, That's so great. she gave me a Madagascan palm, which I didn't even think about any of them being potentially 
hardy enough for me to grow. Yeah. Um, and a Bismarck, uh, no, not a Bismarck, or a, a Bootia that I didn't have, a dwarf nice. one. Nice. So it's some really interesting stuff. So, you know, and she was talking about the fact that these, you know, people are wanting this stuff. Yeah. But the problem with, of course, a lot of that sort of gear is that it's so slow growing mm. uh, and it takes forever to germinate. So commercially, there's not really much value in it it's it's these things are going to get round through the collectors the more collectors. than they're going yes, to go end yes. up in the nurseries i mean she won't supply me with commercial quantities to sell no, or anything no. but she's given me a plant for my garden so yes. you know that's how it sort of will work the um tilling and wine palm the the plant at the geelong botanic gardens mm. the beautiful the, the you know the icon of the friends of the geelong, geelong botanic gardens that actually has provenance information oh, so it? from oh. where it was collected and um uh, That's a little unique in itself yeah, because yeah. early provenances like that don't exist don't much, exist. do they? No, no. Yeah. And the really interesting thing is that it, 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 uh, the Geelong Botanic Gardens was approached through an organisation called BGCI, Botanic Gardens Conservation International, um, knowing that we had provenance material, and they asked for seed off that particular tree because the area in Chile where that thing occurred, oh, originated. It, 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 it's ex- extinct in that area. Oh, so it's, it's been wiped out of that, yeah. its original habitat. It's, and oh. they're... And they're um, uh, it's like they're reintroducing Chilean wine palms back into the wild and they're trying to capture as much diversity of Chilean wine palms ah. as they could get. So they actually asked for some seed. Oh, so, fantastic. So the, the, the seed went from somewhere in Chile to the Geelong Botanic Gardens and back to somewhere in Chile. Yeah, with about um, a hundred and something year gap. Yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty remarkable. But I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, it yeah, is. It's yeah, fabulous yeah, when those things fantastic. happen. And therein does prove the value of... Botanic gardens quite regularly exactly. is that sort of thing. Yep. I mean, the same thing happened to an extent, I guess, in the Melbourne Botanic Gardens with the Sephora Toromira. Yes. You know, it yes. was thought to be extinct. Found yep. they had it in Melbourne Botanic Gardens. Yep. Um, I don't know how the reintroduction program went, but I know they were trying to reintroduce it back into uh, into the uh, islands where it came from. Yeah. Um, it's really important work. Yep. Yep. It's really interesting stuff. Mm. Yep. And that was um, it was. No, I think 1962. I was looking at this the other day for some reason. Oh, isn't that weird? <laughs> 1962, it became extinct, um, and 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 it was in a number of botanic golden garden holdings across the world. Um, and if it were not for that, mm. it would be completely yeah, lost gone to altogether. Nature. Yes. So yeah. yes, it does pay to have them in botanic gardens. It does. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've just been joined in the studio by Alex Smart, and Alex is president of the Australian Plant Society Wilson Park Berwick Group. Morning, Alex. Morning, Pam. Um, and uh, you're here this morning because there is a fantastic exhibition that's coming up in the new year. Well, I think so. I think that uh, 2020 is the 250th anniversary of Cook bringing the endeavour to Australia. And, uh, of course, with Australian plants, we're particularly interested in Banks and Solander, mm-hmm. who made such impressive collections. And uh, so, yes, quite some time ago, the Australian Plant Society Victoria decided we'd try and stage an exhibition. And with excellent cooperation from the herbarium, We've been able to uh, put together a display which will show six of the original specimens that they collected in 1770. The actual specimens. Actual specimens. That's brilliant. And (coughs) they don't often come out of the herbarium. I bet. (laughs) They're precious, but they'll be stored in, they'll be displayed in museum standard cases. And, uh, 
So, oh, if you're as silly as me, you get goosebumps when you see one of those things <laughs> and you read the dates on it. But uh, that is really something. Well, in addition to that, we'll have 31 images of specimens, again, of plants that Banks and Solander collected. And they are remarkable. This goes back to when the gardens were setting up the Australian virtual herbarium Mm. and they got in very high quality photographic equipment and people to operate it so they've created images of that was their objective was to create images of the specimens because who knows how long those specimens will hang together well that's right but uh, the images are quite remarkable any that have got depth for instance banks serrata or even Phragmites, a common reed. Mm. Because they're a fair size, the technicians photographed them in layers and put them together. So the result really looks three-dimensional. Wow. And they're spectacular. Alex brought a a scanned uh, Banksia serrata and brought it into the Kramer Gardens framed and put it in our uh, uh, reception. Right. And for weeks, I thought it was banks. It was the, the actual real <laughs> for weeks. And, Good and, and then I was told it was a it was a photograph. And, and so yeah, that's remarkable. I had to go and relook, and it, <laughs> indeed it was a photograph. But they were remarkable, extraordinary. I think it's interesting though that the original purpose was to create the herb, the Australian virtual herbarium. And that's just so important because it gives people access without upsetting the original specimen. Yes. And the standard of work is brilliant. But now, well, uh, we're, we're seeing uses for that that the herbarium may not have thought of. Mm-hmm. And uh, with an exhibition like this, it could be the largest display of images from Banks and Solander shown in Victoria. Wow. All right, you better tell us where and how. That's <laughs> well, the next bit. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's straightforward, really. Mm. It's at the Maroondah Federation Estate in, uh, in Ringwood from the 17th of February to the 17th of April. And it's there for a few reasons. One is that the galleries around Melbourne are commercial and want to sell things. Yes. We, we weren't up to that but also that Ringwood area was the area where the Maroondah group of the Australian Plant Society emerged and they were power people and they still are it's still I think our largest Victorian group Okay. and uh, you'll hear more about this before then it's good to have the opportunity to give you notice that it'll come up in February yes and it, it really, we're looking forward. We've got good cooperation from the gallery, which is owned by the Maroondah Council. And uh, it's said that the exhibition will be free. And that's true. There's no admission charge. Great. But, in fact, it's been fully funded by APS Victoria. Fantastic. Oh, that's and, uh, brilliant. Yes. Wow. Fantastic. Well, I, I, so, Alex, this must have... <laughs> This must have taken months and months and months of, of, of planning uh, and, and to get permission for all of this to take place. I mean, some of you must have been working very, very hard. And I, I look, 
I think that's true, but it's interesting that we were asking the herbarium questions that they hadn't been asked before. Mm. Could we could we take some of the specimens out and display them here and and uh, they've been very cooperative mm. and uh, very helpful. Uh, they won't let me transport the actual specimens from the herbarium right. to the gallery because I'm not qualified, but that's fine. We've got to get uh, you know, an authorised and insured art courier to do that work. That's fair so, enough. Yeah, and, and we can accept that. Yep. But uh, APS Victoria and a couple of groups are putting in more than $10,000 to stage the exhibition, but we think it's worthwhile. And a highlight for me is that when the exhibition is finished, all the framed images will be donated to the herbarium. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Now, they're excited about that. Of course. Because what that means is that they can lend out these things or display them mm. without risk to the original specimens. Fantastic. So It's about That's accessibility, great. isn't it? Yeah. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. And it's a digital age. I, <laughs> I, it staggers me, being a geriatric, to think, yes, we can do these mm. things. And, Alex, there's a couple of lectures, a couple of public lectures associated with the, the yes. event. Yes, yeah. uh, we have... Professor Tim Entwistle speaking on Banks and Solander, mm-hmm. and that's understandable with his background. Mm-hmm. But we've all the time been tried to be sensitive to the first Australians, and uh, we've got great cooperation from an Aboriginal elder at the Mullum Mullum uh, gathering place. Artie Irene's a beautiful person and she knows all about Cook and the history, but she's sensible and, and very helpful. In fact, we're producing labels at the moment for all the exhibits and I asked Artie Irene, could she give us Aboriginal plant uses? Well, she delivered six A4 pages. Oh, gosh. <laughs> there and you go. So the knowledge is still out there. Yeah. Yes, and, and even that, she understands that some of the common names and some of the uses that she gives may not apply in a different part of Australia. Mm. But overall, it's just wonderful. Mm. But that's leading into the second lecturer on the day, or actually he'll begin is Bruce Pascoe, because he'll be talking about Aboriginal plant uses, how they used them, how they farmed them, and how they lived with them. Mm. And uh, I think he's helping educate us. About, oh, he is. Uh, yeah. Definitely. And uh, I don't know how Tim Entwistle will feel, but... Bruce Pascoe might be the highlight speaker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I, um, we, the friends at the Cranbourne Gardens have had Bruce um, do a couple of lectures uh, over time, and it's, it's, it's really it's thought, extremely thought-provoking. Mm. The, the, just, I mean, it was agriculture. It was proper... Oh, it was. It was proper agriculture. Yes. Um, that, was, that was practised, and, yeah, really, really interesting. It sort of flips... Some 
preconceptions that we might have had That's on, right. on, on, on their head. We should mention that Bruce Pascoe wrote Dark Emu, Dark and, Emu and which that's is what's a fantastic. It's book. just yeah. a brilliant book, yeah. and I, I'd recommend everybody read it. I yeah. really would. Yeah, and, and in fact, I notice now he's actually written a couple of children's books. Yeah. So it's, he's getting that knowledge out there to the different generations, which is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And I, I, I like the byline, Alex, it's 65,000 years of traditional plant use and 250 years of science. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's, a, really, it's a really good And we were really careful to say we're not celebrating this collection, we're marking it, yeah. uh, because that could have some issues. But there's no doubt that the fact that the huge collection went back to London uh, really brought Southern Hemisphere, particularly Australian plants, into prominence mm. over there. They wanted them. They wanted to find out about them. Mm. And because we, many of our, our plants, like eucalypts and acacias and a whole lot more, had evolved since we split off from Gondwana, Gondwana yep. they're completely unique. Well, they're unknown in the Northern Hemisphere. Mm. So it was a very important collection. Mm. And it's interesting, too, that they weren't the first Australian plants to go back to London. 71 years earlier, we had William Dampier mm. collect yep. them, but from one little spot, probably just south of, of Broome. Yep. But when they went back, they were just regarded as oddities. Right. <laughs> not, not worth, nothing more worth studying or anything like that, so... Yes, so we're looking forward to the exhibition and it's great to have the opportunity to give people notice that it'll be on and they can find out, keep an eye on it from the APS Victoria website. That'll bring them up to date. Mm -hmm. uh, there will be bookings for the lectures, although it's free. I'm a little bit optimistic that we might fill the room. I think I'm sure you will. Well, I think so. Yes. So we'll be using try bookings so that we can uh, have some control over that. But, uh, yes, it's it's a lot of people are looking forward to Christmas, but I'm looking forward to <laughs> 2020. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Well, I should uh, just repeat that this exhibition is uh, going to be at Maroondah Federation Estate Gallery. Now, the address of that, if people want to make note of this in advance, it's 32 Greenwood Avenue in Ringwood, and the two uh, lectures that uh, Alex has spoken about uh, will take place on Saturday the 28th of March that uh, those lectures will be given by Bruce Pascoe and Professor Tim Entwistle so uh, something well worthwhile uh, looking towards and now um, as uh, Alex mentioned it, it will be free entry which is absolutely wonderful um, the uh, gallery uh, hours are going to be Mondays to Fridays 9 till 5 Saturdays 12 till 4 and closed on public holidays but uh, the fact that it's going to be uh, on exhibition from 17th of February to 17th of April really does give most people the opportunity to get along and have a look. It's a nice long stint. It's a lovely long stint, yeah. yes. Mm -hmm. yes. The trouble so. with those is, though, people go, oh, yes, I can do that sometime. The trick is not to forget altogether. That's you right. Know, so they think, it, oh, I've got plenty of time, yeah, and then they forget. Yes, exactly. I've done it myself with things. Yes, you know, I so know. And then you think, oh, no. Yes, I forgot. <laughs> yes. But... Uh, 
Absolutely wonderful and, and, and all praise to APS, f- f- Victoria, for getting on board and, and, and uh, as I say, putting all the hard yard into planning mm. this, executing it and it's going to be very, very exciting. I think so. Yep. And the framed images will be completed next week, I understand. Oh, wow. So. We'll have them and be able to see them. Wow. Fabulous. Yes. And, uh, and like Alex says, a bit of a shout-out to the Herbarium staff that have enabled oh, yes. this to happen. I think it's... Um, oh, it, it, my sense is it's, it's a little bit liberating for, um, for the Herbarium staff to have, have this project happen. It, it, it could be yeah. because, you know, in a way they're stuck in a rabbit warren of a building. Aren't they, they are, they <laughs> are. And, yeah, and this is giving them a chance to escape. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, they, they would dearly love to have, and they will eventually get their new building, mm. but they want the space where they can put these things out um, on public display. Yep. But, of course, at the moment there's no, no opportunity no. at all. So an exhibition like this gives them that opportunity to actually bring this to the public. And we're doing the um, planning, we, uh, RBGV, is doing the planning for the Nature and Science Precinct, which is essentially uh, a new herbarium vault, which will be, you know, accessible to a point. Okay. Um, there'll, there'll, there'll be a, a sort of a, a shop front into the, the role of the herbarium. Right. Um, through, like, a gallery space and the opportunity to see into the herbarium. So that was a, a big part of the, the redesign, the thinking of the redesign, is yes. to demystify the herbarium. Yes, great. You, if you ask the average person that walks past the herbarium what's in the herbarium... Um, they wouldn't I think know. You get all manner of responses. Yes. <laughs> Herbs, perhaps. Yes, <laughs> yes, I can imagine that. Yes. Um, so yeah, the project, the the Nature and Science Herbarium project, is mm. it's the big ticket item for the for the organisation. Oh yes. And, um, I mean, some yeah. of us have been very privileged to be allowed to get into the herbarium yeah. for a visit, mm, and yeah. uh, it's the most remarkable place. It, it is. really is. <laughs> and, Super dedicated, skillful. Oh, and the volunteers, the the work they're doing in there is remarkable. They're mounting these these specimens and very, very carefully, I must say. We have a a, a smaller version of that at the Cranbourne, which do we still call them the Press Gang? No. No. Those gangs. Uh, <laughs> I threw that out. Yeah. I took, think that's a bit sad, really. Yeah, I think it, it's got a certain well, charm it's got a about it. Yeah. <laughs> it took them such a long time to decide what they're going to call the group. At one stage, I said, I oh, will call it the press gang and get it over and oh, done so, with. So that was an Alex so, Artism. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that happened, but then as they matured, and they've been going for Oh, close to 20 years now, mm. and their objective is to collect all the plants that occur in the Cranbourne Gardens, which is 360-something hectares, <laughs> and uh, they're, they're getting to a point where now if they find another one that's not on the list, that's pretty special. Mm. Okay, gosh. And uh, that's I, I see that as a bit of a museum of the northern part of the Mornington Peninsula. Yeah. Yes. You know, the things that happened there. And yes. They've still got them. The um, number of plants, on, I, I don't know the exact number in the Victorian flora, but it's something like 3,600 plants, um, vascular plants. Right. And, uh, and in the Cranbourne Gardens bushland, there's over 400, so greater than 10% mm. of, the, of, the, of the state flora in the one reserve. Yeah. Yes. This, this year we documented 48 species of terrestrial orchids, ground orchids. Really? Yeah, it was a fantastic year this year for Gosh. ground orchids. 48 species in the one reserve. Yeah. 
That's amazing. That is, yeah. Mm. Well, there you go. The bandicoots don't eat them all? Oh, the bandicoots are really, really beneficial um, because they, 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 they cultivate the ground, open it up. Um, they move the fungi around okay. that are necessary for the orchids. Yes. Um, no, the bandicoots are really, really good okay. for, for um, the health of uh, bushland reserves. Great. Yeah. Um, swamp rats, not so much. No, I can not imagine so that. Yes. They're, they're, they'll eat the plants, but the, yeah. ban- the bandicoots But are, the bandicoots don't. No, they'll, they're insectivorous. And yes, and so they just dig around. Yeah. And, yeah. And in fact, at one part of the year, the bandicoots... Um, uh, so they eat some of the local fungi, the little, um, yeah, but no, they're e- ecologically very beneficial. Well, that's, that's really good to know. They're, that's interesting. They're cultivators. They cultivate the soil. Okay. Keep it, keep it, um, open and, yeah, they till it. <laughs> <laughs> the majority of the banks and Solander collection that came back to, for, to Australia, came in 1988 when the British Museum uh, contributed duplicates because they were... Solander must have been a real demon. He collected a lot. They Mm. didn't just collect one plant. Uh, And so they had sufficient to create duplicates. Okay. And for the bicentenary, the British Museum... uh, donated back to the Melbourne Herbarium more than 300 specimens. So these have been selected from those. And uh, it's uh, there had been a few earlier that had come back. I think that uh, von Mueller was able to barter a bit, mm-hmm. and so he got some fairly early. But, yes, there's, there's a good collection at the Melbourne Herbarium and in Sydney, of course, and at Canberra. Mm. So. It just shows the volume they must have collected at the time. And uh, the, some of the ones that we've got are, are isolectotypes. I've got no idea of the real meaning of the words, but I know that it means they're collected at the same spot on the same date as what would have be, become the type specimen. Okay. So, okay. so they're, yeah. they're genuine. They're not fake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah. that's fantastic. Right. Good. Well, Alex, thank you so much for alerting us to it. And I'm, I'm, we, this isn't the last that listeners are going to hear about it. Um, in the new year, um, I've already twisted the arm of, of our good friend Roger Elliott to come in and, and fill us in a bit closer to time and remind, remind all our listeners because this is an exhibition that you won't get the opportunity to see again um, for a long, long time, if ever. So uh, we really need to uh, fill out the, uh, the auditorium and the gallery. And right now, Roger is actually checking the labels that I've written. Okay. Because I'm an amateur enthusiast, so (laughs) need someone with a bit of knowledge to check what I've done. And he's got a prodigious work output. Right. (laughs) I can't understand how it takes me a week to get the stuff together, and it takes him a day, and he says, oh, well... You know, you should have said this or let's do that. Now, he doesn't say you should have said this. He, he would say, I suggest you consider this. You know? <laughs> Very He's also diplomatic. diplomatic, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, well, Alex, thank you so much. Really appreciate that. And as I say, I'm going to uh, be continually reminding listeners because it's, it's an opportunity too good for anyone to miss. So absolutely and wonderful. Thanks for supporting us, Pam. Not at all, Alex. A real right. pleasure. Okay. Um, it is more than high time oh, I invited yes. listeners to we join should, us. We? Yes, yes, we really should. If you have a gardening question this morning, we would love to hear from you. We're running through until 9.15, so you've got an hour to jump on the phones and give us a call. That number is 94190155 to speak to Stephen or John. Uh, or if you'd like to have a chat to Doug on the outside line, uh, 94198155. So uh, 94190155 to speak to the team on air or to chat with Doug on the outside line, 94198377. I must get to some community announcements. Oh, we've got some, have we? (laughs) We have, we have. Even leading up towards Christmas and summer. And the very first one happens to be all about your garden, Stephen. Of course. Because you've got an opening. Oh, yes. Yes, coming up uh, next weekend, so the 7th 7th and 8th, 8th. uh, my garden, Tagurium, is going to be open for the Open Gardens Victoria, as is another garden uh, less than five minutes away. Uh, on the other side of the tracks, but we don't hold that against them, uh, uh, a garden called Calum, uh, which has had been open years ago with a previous owner uh, with the Australian scheme. Okay. Ago. So yes. the garden has got a history of having been open, so some okay. people may have seen it years ago when it was open, uh, but this is its first opening under the auspices New owners. Of, uh, of the and, and, and the garden scheme Open Gardens Victoria, yeah. Yep. So, um, so Calum will be open as well. Both gardens will be open from um, 10 to 4. Thirty, uh, $8 admission to each, um, and they're both gardens that are of a scale people can relate to. They're also gardens that are of an age that people can relate to. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of our gardens at Mount Massad and some of our historical hill station gardens... Um, I see them as horticultural eye candy because you, you can go in and look at them and they're gorgeous, but they've got, you know, 80 and 100 year old trees. They're on acreage. I mean, they're lovely to look at, but nobody can really sort of think that they can you do something. You can't go and recreate it. No, you can't. No. no. Uh, whereas my garden and Dale and John's garden, Calum, are both on a scale you could uh, uh, manage and they're both gardens that are comparatively young. You know, they're. Well, mine's about 30 years old now. Um, Caleb's a bit younger. Um, and they're quite different gardens, although I have had some input into what's ended up in the garden at Caleb, funnily enough. Um, so, um, yes, yeah, so both gardens will be open on the weekend. I'll have a plant stall at home. Craig will have his botanic art out for people to, um, to see. Nice. Uh, so, and that'll be available for sale. I'll have an FPOS machine. Um, and we'll be serving morning tea and, and, a biscuit or whatever. Uh, at Calum, they're going to have some wine, and they've also got one of the Kyneton restaurateurs coming down to serve food, so they'll have slightly more upmarket meals available. Um, so they're also going to have music in the garden yes. from one o'clock. Yes. Yeah, so the, yes. Yeah. I'm going to whistle. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, Dale. No, I'm not. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So there'll be lots of things going on, and uh, it's looking like the weather next weekend in the long-term forecast is looking pretty good. Um, so it should be a nice weekend to go out and about um, and yeah we'd love to see you even if you've been to our garden before as many people have it's open at a slightly different season oh, it changes each time. exactly yeah, with the season the garden does I mean the last yeah. opening we did was sort of a 
early spring opening last year. Um, so now we're doing sort of an early summer opening because it's about as late as we can go into the season. I don't think they're opening after us. No, I you're think, the last yeah, two openings, the, yes. Yeah, the last openings for the yep. year. Um, and so the next time we open, it could well be autumn or winter. We, we haven't really made any uh, decisions about that yet. But... I feel sorry for those who can't open their gardens except for the second weekend in November when the roses are at their peak. Because what in hell do they do the rest of the year? You know, so I think a garden has to entertain you all year round if you of live course. in it. And so therefore you should be able to have other people come and have a look around your garden at yep. any time of the yep. year. So, so that's our plan. So, yeah, so we've got two more uh, days where I can get stuck into the garden next Wednesday and Thursday to bring it up to the level I want it to be at for that following weekend uh, and get my plant stall organised and all the multitudes of other things we have to do. So so that that is, I think, something worthwhile considering to come out for a day. Now, we need to give out the addresses, Stephen, oh, yes. and you need to remind listeners about parking at your place. Yeah. Well, parking at our place is in Marshall Avenue, which is just a... a well, three houses from our place is Marshall Avenue, so you know it's not exactly that far to walk. So you'll need the exercise anyway. Uh, so parking in Marshall Avenue, and it's eight and ten Centenary Avenue is the actual address of the garden. It's called Tagurium. You'll find it on the uh, Open Gardens Vic website, so it's all there. The other garden, Calum, is three Church Street, Macedon, um, and as it's on the other side of the railway line. And what? Uh, we're trying to do is where uh, I think hopefully in the next couple of days we'll have a map made up that we can hand out at oh, both that's gardens a good idea. to give people the best route to go through between yep. the two. I mean, it's, they're quite close by, but unless you know the area, it's a little bit sort of complicated. So uh, would they be within walking distance? Uh, can they leave their cars at one of them and uh, walk look, to the you other? You could, uh, but it's a bit of a hike. I okay. would say if I was leaving from my place to walk to Dale and John's, I'd have to allow myself... At least half to three quarters of an hour. Oh, a bit far. Yeah, just and that because you've bit. got plant sales, people don't want to yeah, be they carrying, don't want to be those, carrying those. No, <laughs> uh, so I would say, but it's it's four or five minutes by car. Yep. So it's quite okay. quite close by. So I'd say yes, you'd probably park it. Uh, one and then, then, then move, move to on the to the next venue. Okay. And there's plenty of parking uh, at Dale and John's just out on the, the street in front of their garden. Ours is a bit tighter because Centenary Avenue is so narrow, so people have to sort of park out in Marshall Avenue. Um, but, um, yeah, so it should be good fun. And uh, the National um, Sam Booker's collection is in flower at the moment. Oh, nice. uh, some of the National uh, Acanthus collection is in flower at the moment. Uh, the Osmanthuses aren't looking much, but uh, there's actually three collections in Tagore. Uh, of those three genera. Uh, so if you want to see some of the Osmanthus, they're there, but you know some of the coloured-leafed ones and things are looking pretty, but there's no Osmanthuses in flower at the moment. Uh, but certainly there's quite a number of the Acanthuses and the Sambucuses are, are in flower. Mm. And Craig was talking about offering homemade elderflower cordial as an option as well. I'm not sure whether he'll go for it yet or not, but he was considering it because okay. we made cordial last year and we've actually got a vat of it sitting on our stove as we speak. Um, getting the next batch going for, for to keep us going for the next year uh, of elderflower cordial, which we do regularly. Yes, great. So there you go. So, now, um, as usual, uh, Open Gardens Victoria have very generously offered us one free double pass to each of the gardens. Mm-hmm. So uh, the first two listeners who would like to grab one of those free double passes, either to Stephen's Garden, to, du- to Guria, or to uh, Calum, uh, do give us a call now. The number is 94190155. As I say, the first two listeners to phone in can grab one of those free double passes, which will be posted out to you during the week. Fantastic. 
Fantastic. Now, just a couple more that I really need to get to. Um, the next themed guided walk down at Geelong Botanic Gardens um, is entitled Flora of the Pacific Islands. Now, this is a walking presentation of the Geelong Botanic Gardens collection of flora of the Pacific Islands, such as New Caledonia, Lord Howe Island and New Zealand. Uh, you join your guide at the front gates of the Geelong Botanic Garden, explore the fascinating plants of Godwana, and uh, in modern times, plants developed unique characteristics in response to changing ecological conditions in the Pacific region. Now, the walk starts at 2 o'clock. It's on Sunday, the 8th of December, so next Sunday. And uh, cost is simply a gold coin donation. Meet the guide at the front steps of Geelong Botanic Gardens. Now, also coming up, Friends of Burnley Gardens have got a Burnley Christmas plant sale. And uh, you, uh, this will be Wednesday the 11th of December, 12 noon through till 3 o'clock. They've got a selection of native and exotic trees and shrubs, perennials, bulbs, succulents, indoor and food plants for sale. The location is the lawn behind the Student Union building. Just follow the signs. Parking, of course, is in the Yarra Boulevard and uh, payments are by cash only. And if you go to uh, their website... Uh, you can uh, have a look at the, uh, the full plant list that's there um, up for you to see. Uh, so that is uh, Wednesday, 11th of December, 12 noon, running through until 3 o'clock. And just uh, one last reminder that on Friday, the 13th of December, up at Cloud Hill, um, they've got uh, the idea of North, uh, as, uh, and this is for the uh, Hush Foundation. They're presenting carols and beyond in the gardens, 6.30 till 8.30 for that one. You can book online or you can call 97511009. Now, uh, arrive, uh, Jeremy recommends you arrive 5 to 5.30. Have a good look around the garden. You can bring a picnic, a bottle of wine, uh, uh, low fold-up chairs, a little bit of warm clothing uh, because it is an evening uh, performance. And, and it's, it's the Danny Nongs. And it's the Danny Nongs, <laughs> but it won't go too late, so bring children by all means, 6.30 till 8.30 for that one, Friday 13th of December. Okay, uh, as I mentioned, we are running through until 9.15. If you'd like to jump on the phones and give us a call, 94190155 to speak to Stephen or John, or if you'd like to have a chat to Doug, 94198377. We should quickly mention, John, that uh, you've just recently been to New Zealand. Uh, it was a big Bagans conference. Yeah. 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 How did that go? Oh, it was terrific. So I'm really fortunate. Jill Burness, our landscape planner, Chris Russell, executive director, and myself, we headed across to the Wellington. Uh, and Wellington's a lovely town. Mm, beautiful really, place. Really lovely town. So it was for the um, uh, biennial. So every couple of years... Um, we have a big congress, a Botanic Gardens Congress. Interesting, the next global con congress in 16 months it is now um, is going to be in Melbourne. Yes, yeah, so, yes, that's, that's going to be a big one. That's, we're going to be really, that's really exciting. It's going to be fabulous. Um, so it's the kind of a gathering of the Botanic Garden clan. 
um, over, over the ditch this time. Um, conference was great. Um, the conference was really good. Uh, but the, the real highlight for me was to get into some of the New Zealand landscapes in the bush. We were in a 1,200-year-old Rimu forest. Oh. It was, you know, just oh. the most remarkable. The New Zealand flora is quite magnificent. Um, uh, you know, so very, very different to the Australian flora. Mm. Um, you know, for example, there's two species of protea or proteaceae right. in the New Zealand flora and over a thousand in the Australian flora. Yes, right. Because it only just sneaks into New <laughs> yeah. Zealand, yeah. 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 It just, just makes it in, in. yeah. Um, but lots of, lots of, you know, like we talked before about the podocarps and, you know, that, that cool temperate. The, mm. uh, there's a lot of plants that have, uh, that, that probably were, it's that Gondwana thing. It's yes. that Gondwana link. Yes. And, and, you know, so little of that has been retained in the Australian flora. And, yeah, obviously New Zealand's been quite sort of stable for mm. all that time, I would Remarkably I would considering it's so volcanic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, stable <coughs> and volcanic don't sort of go together in <laughs> no, the same sentence as a rule. No, they don't. But, yeah, their coniferous um, species are remarkable, you yeah. know, from little tiny alpine conifers that just yeah. go flat on the ground up to things like remus and, and white pines and all those other podocarpaceous things um, but you've got that sort of connection more in New Zealand and Tasmania almost yes. in a way yeah, haven't you that's right you've got the remus and the hewan pines which exactly. are not dissimilar yep. and all that sort of thing so yep. there, there's quite a lot of more connected sort of things it, that way yeah so uh, so it is that cool climate mm. yes. connection um, that, that that's right but the, the one thing that really I, I it was a I, I've always known that there was in the New Zealand flora that there's, there, were, there were some trees that didn't look like trees until they got uh, to a certain height and then they branched and became trees. Okay. And like things, a thing called pseudopanax, um, which is just a stick with these le- yeah. leathery leaves coming yeah, out. They look out like axle blades hanging off the side of the tree and they're the weirdest sort of brownie green. They look dead. They look dead. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah they're absolutely. one of those alive, dead-looking plants, which is a great way to sell them. But uh, then they get to about two... Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they get to about 2.5, 3 metres tall, and then they branch and become a tree. Right. Um, and that was in response to being browsed by um, uh, mower, which okay. is these huge, great big, I think 150 kilo plant-eating yeah, birds. Giant birds. Yes, giant birds. Yes. Um, but there's about 200 species of the flora. They, they exhibit this thing called diverication, which is these tiny little leaves and, and zigzag stems. Um, and, and they... So an example would be a Mulembeki or a Catonia Carochia Cataniasta. Yeah, yeah. So so they're they're really dense, small leafed, uh, zigzagged stem plants. Apparently, the theory is because birds peck. It's harder to eat something that's got tiny leaves on wiggly stems. Yep. Whereas a browsing mammal would just go in and munch them anyway, so it wouldn't be of any particular advantage if they had browsing mammals. Yep. But because they're birds that have to sort of pluck at things, uh, having tiny little brownish leaves, and again, apparently brown is a colour birds don't see well. Yeah, right. So the plant could sort of hide. Okay. And unrelated plants did it, which is the thing that I find hardest to Incredible. understand. It's, you know, they all worked it out. They all worked it they out. Worked they, it all, out. they all had the same evolutionary track they went down, and yet yeah. they're not related as plant groups. No. Uh, Good so heavens. it's really fascinating. There yeah. was, there was, uh, uh, I went to Wilton, Otari Wilton's bush, which is a bit like Cranbourne. It's the native, New Zealand native garden. Right. Um, to the Wellington Garden. So it's a bit like Cranbourne to Melbourne. Yes. Um, and 
um, it's a naturalistic garden, very much uh, about forest plants. And, and I'm looking at this one garden bed, and there's all this what I perceive as topiary form. So I'm thinking, why is there a topiary garden in a naturalistic landscape? And I actually asked that of the curator. Mm. And he said, you don't know what you're looking at there, do, we, do you? And I said, well, no. And he said, that, that, it's called heteroblasty. What, so these juvenile saplings of, of what turn out to be broadleaf evergreen rainforest trees as saplings are these rounded shrubs with these tiny little leaves and they get to a certain height and they produce a trunk and then great and big long yeah. strappy green leaves and then right. off they go Right. in fact I think I read somewhere or, or was told somewhere that quite a number of New Zealand species the juvenile form and the adult version were actually put into different genera yep. to start with oh, yep. really? in quite a lot of cases because they didn't realise it was going to turn from that into that right like unrecognisable yeah completely different <laughs> the, 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 I mean we have ukes that sort of do the juvenile thing and then sure. go into an adult form but it's almost sort of Obvious, you can sort of tell that they're still related. These things don't look the same family. Like a juvenile eucalypt, you know it's a eucalypt. Yeah, yeah, you sort yeah, of do. Yes, yeah, you do. But it's just got juvenile leaves. Yeah. Mm. Whereas these, it's a completely different shape, completely different form, completely mm. different foliage. Yeah. Completely different habit. Like it, it, it blew my little mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I was looking at one thing in particular, an Elliocarpus, which is a, a rainforest tree mm. um, with big, broad, um, long green leaves. Mm. And, and, and I was looking at this, and it was—it just—it looked like nothing like that. Good heavens! Yeah, yeah. But it will one day. But it will one day. <laughs> it will one day. Yeah. 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 So New Zealand flora is—it's fa- it's fascinating. You know, we do have our connections, but there's far more differences than there are similarities. And you spent 12 months in New Zealand. Yeah. 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 Years ago, I was on a scholarship trip that um, was used to be handed out to the top apprentice in what was called at the time gardening and turf management. Okay. It was actually what the name of the course was when yeah. I did it. Okay. Um, the turf management side of things. That, I don't think that, I did that, very that well. Slipped. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I got sick of visiting bloody golf courses, I'll tell you. Um, and so anyhow, when I finished my, my training, uh, I won this WJ Bren scholarship, which was a trip to New Zealand. They'd line up your first job. They gave you a return ticket so you could get home. Um, and they'd send out some sort of documentation to all the parks and gardens and the Nursery Industry Association saying that the Bren scholar was in the country. If he gets in touch with you and wants a job, could you please help them out? And that was about as far as they went. They left you to do your own thing. So they organised your first job, which was always Christchurch Botanic Gardens. Um, And so you'd work there for four to six weeks, and in the meantime you'd organise where you wanted to go and you'd contact the next place and book yourself in. And uh, and in my case, I stayed generally about a month in each place. Um, And in the meantime, you know, I found time to go trekking in Stewart Island. And I think I was told I was the first tourist to go to the Chathams. Oh, really? Yeah, because, of course, all the scientists went there to study plants and animals and stuff. Um, But there wasn't a place to stay. So I ended up staying with uh, a local lobster fisherman and his wife that was organised by the county council for me. Um, And I was supposedly the first tourist they'd ever had. Um, And I got taken out by the local uh, hydatids officer to go and have a look at plants and things in the wild and all that sort of stuff on Chatham Islands. Did you see the giant forget-me-not? Oh, yes. Yeah, Yeah, we saw that growing there. And I saw the Chatham Island uh, geranium... uh, their lancewood, uh, yeah, yeah. they've got their own lancewood and their own daisy bushes and yeah. you name it, they've got it. So, yeah, so I spent 12 months there working my way around the islands um, and having a good time in the meantime meeting all these horticulturally 
interesting people. Fantastic. And, uh, uh, yeah, it was a, a great scholarship. It was a fantastic mm. thing. I don't know that it exists anymore, unfortunately, but um, it was a really good thing. And we had a New Zealand student that would come out here as well, so it was an exchange nice. thing. So they would come out and work in parks and gardens and nurseries here. Yeah, great. So it was fabulous. And so I did get quite a good grounding on New Zealand flora. I think before I went there, I knew about cordylines and flaxes. That was about it. <laughs> yes, um, right. <laughs> but, but I certainly got a very quick sort of introduction into their flora. I mean, we went trekking in the mountains fairly quickly, and yeah, nice. I saw the alpine flowers and things, the yep. ranunculuses and salmisias. You saw the mega herbs? Oh, yes. Oh, they're amazing. Uh, incredible plants. Yep. So, yeah. yeah, so, yeah, New Zealand I have a great soft spot for, and I've been back a few times as a, as a grown-up. Um, but as a young man going over there for the first time away from home properly, um, it was, yeah, really eye-opening. It was great fun. Fantastic. In okay. The, in this Rimu forest, uh, the, uh, the epiphytes, the, 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 the plants that grow on the branches of the trees, are remarkable. I, I, I lost count. Uh, I, I counted 32 different species of plants growing on this particular tree. Mm. Goodness Incredible. me. And you'd only see that in tropical rainforests yeah. otherwise. Yes, yeah. exactly. 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 Really yep. remarkable. Yep. And uh, some and some interesting things, some daisies as epiphytes and yeah, yeah unexpected stuff. unexpected stuff. Yeah, it was yep. great. I loved it. Brilliant. We must get to a couple of callers. And uh, first up, we're going to go to Ian, who's in Sunbury. Good morning, Ian. Good morning. Oh, good morning, guys. How are you going? Well, well, thank you. That's good. That's good. Look, um, yeah. Look, I've, I've moved here in the last few months, and I'm just slowly starting to get things settled in here. Um, I uh, have got. There's a couple of issues. I've got one issue where I'm sort of my backyard is kind of my front yard, if you know what I mean. The 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 the, the, the house is sort of right into the back of the block. Mm-hmm. So I've got this big sort of expansive front yard with a fence. But I'm sort of down. I'm I'm in a court and I'm sort of down a bit, and I've got houses across the road that look straight down into my front yard. Mm-hmm. Now um, the fence is about 1.8 meters high, um, and I'd need and I'm sort of thinking about. Uh, uh, some screening uh, trees, mm-hmm. um, and uh, um, I'd need to go, well, obviously up 1, 1.8 metres up, and then at least that again, probably another two at least up mm-hmm. uh, uh, past that. Um, I'm just wondering what sort of evergreen uh, uh, screening trees you would suggest for somewhere like this, somewhere like here. I might be able to, and the other question is, do you think I'd be able to sneak a couple out onto the nature strip? Well, that, that's that's very dependent on your local council as to what their attitude to planting on nature strips are. I mean, in my garden, the nature strip's part of my garden. It's just been, I just enveloped it. Uh, and yeah, did you ask for permission to no, do that? No, I did. no I, they now ask me permission to go on it. <laughs> I, 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 I sort of tentatively asked that question to someone at the council, and they said, well, theoretically, no, mm. but uh, that doesn't stop you doing it, so I, I didn't tell you that. Sort yeah, of yeah, exactly. You know, and so yeah. sometimes it's a matter of what they don't know won't hurt them, uh, so I wouldn't necessarily exclude the idea of planting something onto your nature strip, as long as you're not inhibiting traffic flow or anything like that. I, I don't see it as necessarily a problem, and if you're in a court situation, who are you going to annoy? I mean, really. Right. Uh, now, as no. far as planting something to give you screening is concerned, I'm a great believer in not planting one thing. Yeah, okay. I'm not really yes. keen on screens of one species of plant because you're putting all your bar- all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. If something goes yeah. wrong, it goes wrong with everything. Yeah. Uh, and also, yeah. you're not building up a habitat. I mean, if you plant a row of, dare I say, things like 
James Sterling Potostrums or or what have nah. you. Um, uh, it's a boring green giant fence. Whereas if yep. you plant a mixture of different plants, mm. you'll have things flowering at different times. You'll you'll make um, uh, you'll you'll make uh, a habitat for birds, a habitat for insects. You'll have all sorts of things that uh, will work for you. Uh, so I put a mixed planting in. Uh, there's plenty of native shrubs that will grow quite well for you and do what you want. Quite a number of the melaleucas, the calistamins. Uh, there's a whole range of native plants yep. that would be tough and hardy and would grow in those reactive clay soils around Sunbury. Yep. Uh, and there's yep. a number of exotic plants that would also do quite well for you. There's things like Azara from Chile, um, uh, some of the Escalonias. Abutilons. Yeah, some of the Abutilons would grow quite well for you and they're quick growing. Those that are still in the genus of Abutilon, mm. I found out a few have been whipped out. Pardon? We thought that again, uh, the Escalada and... Um, Escalonias, uh, Abutilons. There's a whole range of, um, uh, of exotic plants. And look, in Sumbra, you're only 20 minutes away from my nursery. I wouldn't hesitate to come up and have a chat to me on site if you want to, and I can show yep. you a few things. I don't do many native plants. Most of the native plants I grow tend to be cool climate things because they fit my range better, and, but they're not going to fit for what you want to do. I'm not going to suggest you put in a Tasmanian leatherwood in Sumbra. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I can show you some of the exotic plants that I would see as being appropriate plants for your planting. And by making a nice mixture of plants, it becomes a little more complex because you can't plant at even spacings all the way along your fence, um, but you can make that part of the garden then instead of it just being a screen? Yep. Okay. No worries. Well, it, it sounds good. The, yeah. other, the other thing, and I could probably, you reckon I could probably sneak them out onto the, oh, out on some of them out of the nature strip? I would be. Yeah, but then well, that's I me. I, I, uh, I, I always reckon if you do something with conviction, people tend to think you know what you're doing and they leave you alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In fact, yeah. I've taken it a step further. I've actually imposed some plants on my neighbours uh, that I wanted to be able to look at. Uh, and they think I'm being generous because I've donated a plant to their garden and say it'd look really nice there. Uh, and it looks really nice there from my side. <laughs> but I say it with conviction and I think I'm being really helpful. Yeah, so what can I say? Yeah, the other thing is that on the other side, of the, on the inside of the fence, mm. I've got a sort of a slope, uh, a slope section that I want to, I've taken out some of the stuff that was already there, but uh, it's pretty hydrophobic, as you can imagine, pretty hydrophobic and not particularly great soil. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering, it's just more, you know, flowering shrubs and stuff that's just the strength in the soil and, um, and all the rest of it. Um, would, natives, I guess, would be the way to go, wouldn't it? Well, when you say natives were the way to go, I have to say I'm going to say this with some trepidation sitting in a room full of uh, native files. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's not about where a plant comes from uh, geographically if you're talking about native. I mean, there's no. rainforest trees from northern Queensland that are definitely not going to work for what you want. Mm. It's more about getting plants that come from a similar climatic zone yep. to the yep. one you're working in. So there's lots of plants from the Mediterranean region um, that would work well. There's lots of South African plants that would work well. There's Chilean plants that would Mexican work well. Plants. Mexican and Californian plants that yep. would work well. So there's plants from all over the world that come from similar climates. And in fact, sometimes those plants work so well they become weedy mm. uh, because they don't have the natural balances that they have, whereas our native plants, there'll be native bugs and pests that'll have a crack at them, whereas some of these exotic plants that come in, they don't come in with their native bugs and pests, so they do better for us than they do in the wild. 
So, so, yeah. so saying native is, yes, fine, not a problem, but then you have to be specific about what group of natives or what geographical area you're selecting your natives from. Natives suited to that right. situation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so you do have to be a bit careful. I mean, tree ferns are definitely not going to be the go, uh, <laughs> and yet they're native. Yep. Uh, so you, you've got to be, so you've got to think this through in a, a slightly more, um, complicated way than just sort of All that right. sort of, uh, overarching sort of label, uh, which I find a, a bit difficult. And especially when what people do, get... Mate? Pardon? Yeah, sorry, so what I was going to say, what I'll do is I could probably take a couple of photos. Good idea. Uh, and, then, and then come up to, to your place at some point. When, when, are you, when are you up there again? I'll be up there in a bit, we'll about an hour and a bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, um, yeah, so I'll be up there all day today if you wanted to come up and see me. Stephen's uh, closed, uh, Wednesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays. Wednesdays and Thursdays are my days off, and of course next weekend I won't be in the nursery because I'll be in my own garden because it's open. Um, right. And therein is another thing you should be doing. You should go out and see what other people are doing to in get ideas. In Sunbury, particularly. You know, around Look your, your area, but certainly yeah. even out, yeah. out and about. If you go out and visit yeah. gardens, uh, you'll often pick up ideas of plants that you like the look of and that may yeah. well work or that you can adapt to your garden. Um, uh, and also landscape themes. You know, you might come to my garden and you might not want to use the same plant material, but you might well see the look of something that you like, and you can find plants that will do the same thing. I mean, you can have a Japanese-style garden with Australian native plants. Mm. I mean, it's very easy to do if you select the right material. Mm. So, yeah. But I was, just, I was going to suggest the same thing, walking around the block and having a look at what's performing well in, in your local area, your local That's microplants. That's exactly what I've been doing, actually. Yeah, yeah. 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 great I've, idea. I've even gone out with a pair of secateurs and gone snip-snip in little spots <laughs> here and there. So. We didn't hear yeah. you say that. <laughs> no. No, <laughs> <laughs> All yeah. right, thanks very much. Excellent. That's Good luck. pleasure. Okay. Good on you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. And uh, next up, we're going to uh, Sue, who's in Dingley. Good morning, Sue. Thanks for waiting. Oh, good morning. Good morning. morning. Uh, I'm, I'm just ringing about my Melia tree, which uh, I think might be dying. It's 40 plus years old. Okay. Uh, I've saved it from the possums about five years ago by installing an ultrasonic thingy on the wall. Um, but this year it's not releafing. Ooh, that doesn't bode well. No. 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 <laughs> I was going to say, mealias by nature aren't necessarily short-lived trees. No. So, you know, a 40-year-old mealia is not an unusual just, thing. You just, know, and no. Just starting. No, but, but I'm, it, it's got... Signs of life in that there are a few little leaves at the tips of the ends of the branches. So I've basically got this skeleton tree. Mm. There's something definitely just, wrong. Are you sure yeah, the possums are off it? Are you sure yeah, the possums... I've checked, I've checked at night to see there's no possums, the machine's going, and it's not possums this time, and okay. the symptoms are different as well. Okay. Mm. Um, I've got no idea I've, why we'd be doing that, unless there's been some serious change in the habitat it's growing in, like a drainage issue that's cropped up or... Yeah, uh, shouldn't be, shouldn't You be. know, something but, that is sort of inhibiting the, the tree's growth. Uh, I mean, they're tough as. Mm. In fact, they're weedy in some areas. So, mm. I know, I know. Um, so, so in theory... Street, street trees around here. Yeah, yeah. yeah Amelia should mine, be Mine easy. is a beautiful example of, of a well-shaped tree. It's just yeah. gorgeous. And they do make quite... Apart from those hard seeds that are a pain in the neck if you're mowing the lawn. Oh, God, they're awful. <laughs> but apart from that, they do make a really good shade tree because they have a nice light uh, well, airy canopy. See, I've got it facing north yeah. in front of a big window mm. and it's 
fabulous in the summer because it really shelters the house and it's so cool underneath it. Yeah, but look, it's not I, going to be this year, I don't No, think. it doesn't sound like it. And look, when a tree gets to that sort of point in its uh, uh, existence or potential end of... Um, I don't know. There's not a lot you seem to be able to do with a big tree. I mean, you well, can... I was sort of thinking, well, maybe it's dry because we've had. Amelia's well, coped with drought so well. I mean, and I sort of, sort of started watering around the drip line with sea salt and that sort of thing. Well, you can't do much harm with that. No, no, that's a good idea. No, that's yeah. what I thought. I only started that last week. Yeah, well, it won't um, have much impact at this point in time. But, no, uh, I don't like the sounds of it. I really don't. Um, and with the, just with the, it seems strange that it's got. A little leaves at the very tips of the branches, but mm. there's nothing in anywhere else. I don't know. I've not I'm seen Amelia do that. Uh, I, I, I did hear on another radio program someone else had a problem with a tree, and and it occurred to me that maybe this might be the answer. I had some um, power line guys come along and trim the tree back mm-hmm. from the power lines, and it was suggested to this other person that maybe they they brought some bug with them that some yeah, you know, infected I'd, the tree. I, I would be surprised uh, if that was the case. I mean, again, merely is not prone to anything that I'm aware of as no. far as diseases no. or pests no, or I anything mean, they're like that. No, I Well, they are. I mean, they've used them in some really, really difficult conditions. Um, they're drought tolerant. They're fairly cold tolerant. Um, they don't like wet feet is about the only thing I can think of yeah. that can be a problem. Well, that wouldn't be... The case. Yeah, and, and you know, that, that sort of symptoms of something and coming out with maybe, these weighing little maybe, leaves, um, that often shows. Maybe I thought maybe it was the extremes of temperature, yeah. just the cold and no. the hot and no, the cold and no, the wind. Not with Amelia. I, I could understand no. it with other trees, but not with Amelia. So hmm. I've got no real idea why it's done it. Uh, so we're not going to be able to help you much. I don't think you can think of anything, can you, John? No, just beyond. Yeah, and look, sometimes things just don't work, you know, and, and you can spend the rest of your life scratching head wondering why it died, uh, but it just did. Mm. You know, sometimes yeah. that happens. I mean, I get quizzed at home sometimes by somebody who thinks I should know what I'm talking about uh, when something doesn't work in the garden at home and, and, you know, what went wrong? And I go, I'm actually not sure it just died. Yeah. Mm. You know, yeah. and that does yeah. happen. I, I, I had, at this, reflecting back on the zoo, we had possum, um, possum predation killed millias. Mm. Um, I, it, it, I, yeah. Mm. That's that's the only thing that I can think of. But if you're not seeing any evidence of possums, that's yeah. It's, yeah I don't you know what it could be. Yeah. And certainly, if no, they're still breaking I, I, on the ends of the branches, the it was nearly dying five or six years ago, mm. and and um, did, did it look, but the symptoms weren't the same. Well, and okay, that was from possum. Okay, um, and the possums don't like the ultrasound. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm sorry, but it sounds to me like none no, of us can really should, help. Should, should I get an arborist yeah, to have a look at it? It probably wouldn't off. hurt. Good idea. Yeah. I mean, a professional coming in and looking at the tree on site may pick up on something that you haven't told us that we don't know about, but they may pick up on something that's going on that yeah. will, will solve the issue. Although, having said that, if it's in that sort of condition, that's I don't like its chances, personally. No. 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 They no, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking it's probably not I mean, worth in, some, it. in some ways, don't waste the money. 
Yeah, although you're probably still going to have to get somebody in to take it down in due course, yeah. and that will probably require well, well, an arborist. I've got one of those. Yeah. Not, yeah. I know. That's not a problem. The, yeah. I'd, I'd imagine an arborist, the first thing that they would do is they would look at the base of the, it's called the collar of the tree, which is where yeah. the, the tree hits the ground. And, and, and sometimes you can get collar rot on, 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 on trees if there's a build-up of, of organic matter or mulch. No, or the, the round the base of the tree it looks fine. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. okay. I don't know. I'm sorry. Fine. It's just got no leaves. Yeah. 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 yeah, so you've got the summer deciduous one. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I'm sorry. And, uh, yeah. No, that, that's all right. I think I needed to vent. That's <laughs> Yeah, well, and that's a good thing, that's too. Good thing. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah so I'm sorry we can't feel, help well, you with that. Well, if I think it's dying, someone might reinforce that theory. Well, yeah. I've got a sense it is dying. It sounds to me like yeah. it is. Um, yeah. uh, you know, Amelia would be healthy otherwise, and it should be full of leaf by now. Yeah. Oh, um, I know, I so, know. So, yeah, really it doesn't bad. bode well. I've spent years saving this tree's life, and it's now it's... Giving up on me. Oh dear. Oh well, yeah. a, a, a gap is an opportunity. <laughs> you've got to yeah, keep that's looking. The trouble is, you've got to find a possum-free opportunity. Uh, right yes, here. and it's getting harder and harder, particularly in suburban gardens where possum numbers are built up I know they're developing a to, taste for yeah. all sorts of things. Yeah, it's now amazing they what they eat. In fact, I get. I started people. eating my my um, Wendy's Wish sage now, and they never ate that before. Oh yeah, I've never seen them eat no. salvias. No. That's interesting. No, they're eating salvias now. So Goodness me, that that means that they the possums are already sort of. Spiced. <laughs> well, we've, well, we've also see we also have around here uh, a lot of houses being demolished, no. and along with you know just let's turn it all into bare dirt. Mm. So they're all looking for food and they're looking for somewhere to live. Yeah, mm. which is fair enough. I mean, we took the habitat so they're, away they're from them. So they're deciding, well, if I haven't got this to eat anymore, I'll try something else. Yeah, mm. we've just had a message through uh, Sue. Uh, that the sorts that maybe it's some sort of in, insect because there's one opposite the children's garden in the botanic gardens that's been attacked and that's also not possums. Okay. So, oh, okay. Yeah, but then what do you do about a giant tree with, if it's an Not insect? a lot. Not a lot. That's the <laughs> that's, problem. Yeah, you know, you, you, <laughs> yeah, what can you so do? You can't spray, you can't spray the tree. it. No, that's uh, not. I mean, you might <laughs> be able to have it syringed like they do for the elm leaf beetles. Mm. You might be able to put a confidor syringe into it, and, and that might work. But you'd still need to bring an arborist in who knows how to do how that. To do that's that. right. And they'd yeah, have to be sure that what they were doing it for was legit. There's no point mm. in syringing a tree if that's not actually what the problem is. That's right. That's right. And also, it's almost too late seasonally to save it because any new growth, if we wait much longer, it's going to get burnt by hot winds and... Um yeah, although having said and that, Amelia, if it did come back, I think it'd come back yeah, with a vengeance. Yeah, be fine. You know, so yeah, they are possibly. tough old things. Anyhow, yeah. sorry we can't be more specific. So, so you reckon, should I get an arborist or just... Look, I'd be tempted to, if the tree's important enough, uh, an arborist will at least clarify things and say, yes, it's possible to bring it back. No, it's not. So it could well be worthwhile spending the money to get somebody in who at least... Can on site can it has, has a sort of a, a knowledgeable yeah. opinion. Well, they can also check out your soil, um, which really you would need to do before you replanted something else there anyway, in case there's a problem with the soil. Yeah, although I don't think there should be a problem with the soil, with all the lovely little things that are growing underneath it, yeah. enjoying mm-hmm. the, the shade they might never have again. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Sorry about that, Sue. Okay. Thank you very much for your for your concern. Okay, bye. Okay. Bye bye. And uh next we're going to uh William who's in Hawthorne. Good morning, William, and thanks for waiting. Oh, good morning. How are you? We're well. 
Oh, good. I have a question, actually, for Stephen. Yeah. <clears throat> Firstly, I use similar plant material to you, mm. I believe. I've got a hobby garden up in Macedon. Oh, yes, yes. <clears throat> yeah, but what would you say, you know, I got an expert in yesterday who looked at my geranium and said it wasn't of horticultural significance. Yeah, well, that's probably because it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, you should be out in the garden working. <laughs> Yeah, I should be. Yes, yes. Should so should yeah, get your act together. <laughs> this is actually Dale, and Dale is actually the other garden owner that's opening this coming oh, weekend. Oh, right. Yeah, uh, and I yes, I did. I walked around your garden yesterday, and, and you said, should I put some more of that geranium in? And I said, no, I think we can do something with much more horticultural significance. So Good. what can you say? <laughs> yeah, no, I was, well, I tried you were horrified, I know, but there you go. <clears throat> Yeah, I just want to. I just wanted to add one thing too. You know, Margaret is actually coming next Saturday. Oh yes, of course. Sunday. Yes, Margaret, who was the previous owner, <laughs> yes. who in fact had it open with Open Gardens Australia, yes. is going to be wafting around the garden, talking to people. And, oh great! And she's got far better knowledge than Dale anyway. So, <laughs> so you know, yeah. So she will be in the garden. So she will know all of the background of the garden and its history and all that sort of stuff as well. So she will be a great resource for people if they've got questions because there's no no point in asking Dale. No, no, no. <laughs> Stephen made me take all the tags off. Yeah, yeah. So well, you take the labels off because they look like, silly. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So just to, look, I've mentioned that because Margaret Pizarro and and Mel will be up. Yeah. yeah. So Fantastic. yeah. So, yeah. And and are you ready yet? Did you finish your mulching? No, no, no. Actually, I am about to start the ball mulching. Oh yeah. So. Well, good. I'll be able to say to people if you want to see mulching well done, go to Dale's garden. Yeah. Absolutely. There's about 70 cubic metres of it on the garden. <laughs> oh dear. Yes, the things we do to get ready for an opening. Okay. All right, I'll Absolutely. catch up with See you later. later. Okay. All right, okay. bye, Dale. Bye. 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 He did threaten he might ring in this morning. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, he's completed the Yeah, point. yeah. All right. Um, let's go next to Jill from the Herb Society. Good morning, Jill. Hi, Pam, Stephen. Good morning. And Jeremy. Um, Yes, next Thursday, 7.15pm at Burnley Horticultural, Room 10. Chris Williams, Professor Chris Williams is coming to speak about Indigenous plants, history, um, research um, and possibilities and challenges. So that should be a fascinating discussion. Great. And we have a raffle, we have herb supper, we have... uh, interesting people to chat to and it's very friendly so if people would like to come it's 500 Yarra Boulevard Melway 45A12 and uh, it says oh it says Richmond even though it's Burnley you know on the GPS yes right and it's on the uh, Riversdale Road Swan Street tram line for those on public transport. Excellent, excellent. So, very welcome. Yep. Thanks, and thanks Chris, Chris is a great speaker, so it'll yeah, be a very interesting night. Oh, it's fantastic. I had him come two years ago talking about root vegetables yes. and herbs, yes. yogurt and and all those interesting uh, sweet potatoes. Yep. So, yes, he's a brilliant speaker. Okay, excellent. Jill, are you, are, are you aware of the, the, the name change to Rosemary? 
No. Have, you, have you heard of the yeah. rosemary has had a, 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 a botanical name change? It's no longer rosemary officinalis. It's now a salvia. Yeah, and the salvia study group hate it because <laughs> I did point that out to one of the salvia study group recently, and they said, "No, nah, we're not accepting no, it. It's not, not right. We're no, not, we're not no, going there." Right. Yeah, <laughs> but yes, apparently it is now a salvia. So yeah, there you go, <laughs> salvia rosemarinus. Uh, and would you believe? Would you believe? I don't care what their DNA studies tell. Mm. It doesn't look like any salvia. <laughs> At all. No, it doesn't. Well, having said that, there's some selvias that don't look like selvias yeah, right. as well. So, I don't know. Anyhow, it, look, it's what it is. And if they've done the DNA and they they're convinced that they've got it right, well, I've just got to you know sort of submit to the higher authority. I think I'm struggling with a lot of name changes. Well, see, it's Christmas, and they won't believe that uh, the rosary used to have white flowers, but the virgin's robe. Brush, uh, brushed over it so that turned the flowers blue. <laughs> yeah, well, see, I'd, I'd still prefer to call it salvia then, because <laughs> at least it's got some scientific background. <laughs> uh, can, I, can I ask Jeremy a question? It's, John. Uh, it's John. It's John, yep. Oh, it's John. Um, well, at Cloud, Cloud Hill, I was at Cloud Hill, and uh, they had the most fantastic elder with... Uh, reddish leaves and pinkish flowers and no they didn't have it in stock I can order it uh, for the year after next I think they said so mm. I'm wondering if anybody um, grows any nursery at all grows that uh, rust, well it's sort of uh, burgundy leaved elder which well there's, there's a number of burgundy leafed cultivars uh, yeah. There is one called Black Beauty, which was one of the earlier ones that came out, and it has a classical elder-shaped leaf in a burgundyish colour with pink flowers. There is an old one called Nukio's Purple, which has sort of more chocolatey brown leaves and very pale pink flowers. And there's a cut-leaf one called Black Lace. Uh, oh, Oh, that's, that's the one. Yeah, well, black lace. I haven't got any this year, but it is something that I have grown, and I'll have to start another crop at some stage or another. Have Uh, you you any of the others? I've got the Nukio purple in stock at the moment. I think there's one black beauty left, and in due course, there's going to be one called black tower, which is a pencil form. So for people who've got a restricted space in the garden, black tower should be fantastic. I think it's got a PBR on it or whatever, so Mm. it will only be available through registered nurseries that are proper getting it under licence. Could you you keep me one of those for next weekend, Gil? Yes, I I can keep you in Yukio Purple. Uh, I don't know that... uh, I think there's only one plant of Black Beauty up at the nursery at the moment, and I'm not sure that it'll still be there even when I get back today. Uh, So I wouldn't like to promise that. Uh, Well, actually, I'll have one of each. If if you can keep them for me, I'll come up on Sunday next next, uh, weekend. All right. Well, I'll try and remember to have some at home because I was going to put a few elders into my plant stall at home because I hold the national collection in the garden so people can see the different varieties in the garden when they come up. So I was going to have what I've got in stock up there, and I can't remember which ones I've got really, but I was going to have a selection of them in the garden anyway for next weekend. So there you go. Oh, well, I hope I'm not inconveniencing you, but I definitely will buy them if they're there. All right. Okay. Well, we'll do our best. I won't make I'm any sudden. absolute promises, Jill, but we'll do no, our best. No, of course you can't. Mm. <laughs> yes, you've got to respect your elders. Mm. Okay. Right. Thanks, Stephen. All right. Bye. 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 Okay, let's move on. And next we have uh, Anne in Glenroy. Good morning, Anne. Oh, uh, good morning, uh, panel and listeners. Um, 
I've got some geraniums. I take cuttings from the neighbours and I put them in a vase of water and then I trimmed off the stem and removed a couple of the bottom leaves and then I dipped it in honey and then I put it into the, the pot where they're going to grow and I watered them and gave them a little bit of sea salt. Have I done everything right? If anything, you've probably done too much. <laughs> um, geraniums are one of those things that actually strike better if you don't keep them wet. Uh, the bottom of the stem should dry off a little bit before you put them in. Yeah, right. Uh, a bit like oh, you would with succulents. Oh, yeah, well, you shouldn't have done that. It possibly won't make any difference. Uh, but what I would normally do if I were growing geranium cuttings, and I'm assuming you mean the sort of shrubby pelagonium-style geraniums, um, yeah. I would take the cuttings, I'd leave them sitting on the bench overnight, and then I would just pot them up the next day. And I wouldn't oh, have done any right. of the other things. Now, you may not have done anything that it will stop them growing, but you didn't need to do all that stuff. Now, uh, about the possums, when I lived in Noble Park... Um, I had pet possums in the attic and I used, and running around the garden at night and we had fruit trees and everything. It was like a little paradise for them. But I always used to leave a little bit of bread, a little bit of apple or some other fruit in the attic for them. And I found that they didn't raid my trees because I was helping them with food and I knew they needed somewhere to live. Yeah, the theory is all right, but my attitude to that is that the more you feed them, the more they bring their relatives in. Uh, so I'm not sure about it working, to be honest with you, because I know I've got a neighbour who hand feeds the possums. Yeah, okay. She's got a whole pile of brushies that come and sit on her front veranda really? and, and really? she hand feeds them. And I'm convinced that there's more possums per square metre in her garden than there is in mine. Almost inevitably. Yeah, yeah. and so... Yeah, the theory's nice, and it, and it can make you feel good about feeding the wildlife, I guess. Uh, but generally speaking, I think most people suggest you don't feed wildlife. Uh, you let it scavenge for itself. You leave water out, certainly. Um, but if you start feeding them, they become reliant on you, and then if you're not there, well, then issues start to crop up as well again, of course. But anyhow, yes. good to hear from you. And Well, uh, can I say something else? If you're very quick, Anne, we've got a, a, a board full of uh, people. Say okay. Well, okay. Bye. 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 Okay. Let's uh, go next to Terry out in Chelsea. Good morning, Terry. Uh, good morning, panel. Um, have a happy Christmas, all of you. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Um, what I have is Stephanotis, and mm. it has scale on it. Mm. Um, so I have sprayed it with. Um, oh, what's the name? Forgotten there. White oil. White, White oil, oil. One of the Eco no, oil. Echo oil. Yep. Yeah, right. Uh, but that didn't help really. So would white oil be better or will I just spray no, it? No, no, any of the coat? oils suffocate the scale. That's the whole yeah, so you, idea need, you need to make sure that it goes up under the foliage and on the stems and sort of coats the whole plant because if you okay. miss bits of the plant, those scale will still be there and, and then persist. they'll just breed up again and yeah. they'll, they'll keep persisting. So, yep. you, and you know, if it were a really small plant, if your Stephanotis yeah. is quite little, I'd actually no, go... Not. Oh, well, I was yeah. going to say, if it was a small plant, you could go over it with a very gentle cloth 
with white oil and actually oh, no, break up the scale a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but if it's not, well, then you'll just have to respray again. But you do need to make sure you spray well and don't do it on a really hot day. Or a windy no. day. Yeah. And, so, and, okay. and maybe repeat spraying is a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Because it's, it's oh. it, as Steve suggested, if you, Stephen suggested, if you miss even a little bit of the plant, um, yes. that'll be the... Yep. the but the it, re- it will definitely source. do the trick, yeah, Terry. Yeah, so yes, yeah. you've just got to be a bit more persistent with it, I think. So does it matter how much I spray it? In theory, no. I mean, I wouldn't be spraying it every week no. Um, no, over no. a long period, but, you know, you, you should be able to clean up the problem after two or three sprays, yeah. Yeah, I would have thought. Oh, okay. But a good oh. liberal, liberal covering yeah. when you do it. Yeah, so it's sort of yeah. dripping off the leaves yeah. and things yeah. like that. Okay. And also with feeding it, what's the best to feed Stephanotis? Because I didn't really get much flowering last year or the year before. Is it in a pot of the ground? In the pot, in a la- very large pot. Yeah, well, if it's in a pot, the safest thing you can feed most things with, and this isn't specifically about Stephanotis, but most plants, is one of the slow-release fertilisers, mm. the pelletised ones that last for, you know, sort of six to nine months. Yep. Um, okay. You know, there's Osmocote and there's a whole range of brands out there. Yep. Uh, uh, it's what I use all the time in my nursery. Everything gets potted up, and when it gets potted up, it gets a dose of Osmocote, and generally speaking, I don't have to refeed until it's time to repot it again. Yep. So, you know, oh, okay. let's keep it simple. Uh, and there's not a specific feed for Stephanotis or for most plants, really. No. Uh, no. So a general sort of slow-release fertiliser should be fine. All right, then. Okay. Well, thank you for that. That's okay. a pleasure. Bye. And thank you so much for the show. Oh, thanks. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. And uh, let's go to Robert in Mitcham. Good morning, Robert. Yes, good morning, all. Look, uh, I was listening to the lady earlier with the Amelia tree. Yep. Mm-hmm. We've got in our, our garden... An old multi-trunk uh, fatinia, probably 50, 60 years old. It's quite close to a, uh, a large lemon-scented gum. It's probably well, about 30 metres plus. It'll be similar age, 50, 60 years old. It had severe possum damage early, early this year, and it's seriously struggling. Mm-hmm. Very few leaves, very few flowers. We had some dead wood uh, cut out of it uh, earlier through the year, but... Is there anything we can possibly do? Well, the only way you're going to stop possum problems is find some way to exclude the possums. Mm. Um, I don't know that the possums are back. I think they've uh, they've done their mischief and moved on. Uh, probably found found better things, but they've, they've yeah. Well, uh, if it's a big old fatinia, uh, I'm assuming it's fatinia serrata or something like that. One of the big yeah, old-fashioned uh, fatinias. Uh, fairly, uh, it'll be probably twenty foot. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Uh, look, they're pretty tough, and so I just make sure the tree's well watered and fed. Yep. Uh, and I think as long as the possums don't come in to re-cause the damage again, uh, the tree should be able to recoup. Uh, they are pretty tough. So well, just a bit of patience. When, when, when you say food... Mm. What sort of food would we... Uh... Well, again, just, you know, a good organic food. So, you know, bags of horse manure you buy on the side of the road, dynamic lifter, dynamic um, yep. whatever you can get your hands on. Some sort of organic um, manure-based fertiliser will probably be gobbled up by it. And, uh, again, it's not about specific things for specific plants. It's more about feeding your soil with some good organic material because the plants will take out of it what they want. Right, but the gum's not having any serious effect on it, do you think? 
Oh, the gum probably is. I mean, yeah. eucalypts are quite greedy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, if the tree is struggling, the eucalypts probably taking up most of the nutrients That's and right. moisture. Yes. Uh, and so you need to compensate for that a bit. Um, so you need to give the fetinia a little bit of extra help uh, for it to recuperate from its setback. Just reflecting on what sometimes happens, I think moisture is the key thing mm. uh, here. And yeah. um, um, you could actually do a little bund around the trunk, maybe about a metre and a half out from the trunk. And, and, and water and water and water and water and that'll hold the water in. It's almost like a water well. Um, yeah, you sort of make a dam wall. Like a, yes. You make a dam yes. wall. Yeah, make and uh, and that's always a good idea, particularly if your soil's a bit hydrophobic yep. because it's inclined to run over the surface, so you think you've watered well, but really it's disappeared and it hasn't gone down into the ground. And those fatinias have got that mat, fibrous mat. It, yeah, it, it actually, right. It's actually difficult to get water into the into, into the root system of, on, a, on a mature fatinia. Mm. So some, you know, make a little dam... Yep. About a metre and a half out from and the trunk. And you throw some help. seaweed extract Absolutely. into that occasionally as yep. well. That would yep. help. Um, but yes, it is. It's a matter of getting moisture in again because the tree's got to refoliage itself. So there's a lot of energy required in doing that. So it needs a lot of moisture and it needs a little bit of feeding if it's going to sort of be able to push all that new growth out that it's going to have to try and do. Mm. Yep. It's a sort of hydrophobic. What's yep. the best way of trying to deal with it? I think by doing that, doing that water well. That's by doing the water yeah. well. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you could you could you could try and use some wetting agent as well. That that wouldn't that wouldn't hurt. Yeah, and you can spike the ground perhaps yep. with a yep. with a fork. just to help penetration. Yeah, just of to the help water. a bit of penetration that can help a bit. Yep. Um, I'm having sort of second thoughts about wetting agents. I have to say because they're they're detergents. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, and and I wonder basically. what else they're doing to the soil. Yeah. You know, exactly. I mean, they, they certainly work as getting moisture down in, yeah. and so wetting agents do their job, yeah. but I'm not sure that they're not doing something else that's counterproductive, yeah, I, so I'm not sure about them yeah, now. I, I, I was all for them for a while, but yeah. I'm, you know, I believe there's some new ones out there that are more organic, okay. which is probably a good thing to look for if you're going to put down a wetting agent, yeah. and I haven't done any experiments with any of these supposedly organic ones yet. Um, but the, yeah, the chemical-based ones, I've just got reservations about it. I can't see that it's helping my worm population or anything else that's in the ground. Uh, It might be getting moisture down, but you certainly don't want to be pouring detergents on your worms. Gosh, no. So, yeah, so I have some reservations about some of the wetting agents, but certainly it it would, if you've got a tree that's struggling, it might be better to put down a wetting agent and get the tree back into good health again than to not use one. Mm. So, I don't know, it's, you know, you're sort of damned if you do and damned if you don't with some things. Yep. Our soil base is quite heavy clay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, look, a water well would help. That, it definitely that, that, would just, it, yeah. it gives, Then it'll, it'll just slowly infiltrate into the soil over time. Yep. Okay, right. Robert. Thank you very much for that. Okay, bye. Yes, the old Fetinia serrata, you'd only see that around occasionally in really old gardens. Yes. I mean, the Fetinia robustas that everybody used as sort of screening plants are sort of everywhere still. Unfortunately, often alternated with Petosphorum <laughs> eugenoides variegata, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is one of those sort of plantings that really... Yeah, it sort of does my head in. I can never quite. I always say to people, "Why did you do that? It looks like somebody's had a whole pile of teeth extracted." You know, (laughs) and uh, but Fatinia serrata as a as a well grown tree is actually quite a handsome thing. Lovely tree. And you know, there's a lovely one down in the Camperdown Botanic Gardens. In fact, most of the old provincial botanic gardens have got their specimens of it. Um, And yeah, it's a lovely old thing. Um, It doesn't get as bright a red growth on it as the robustas do, but that's possibly a good thing. Um, I love it. We've got five minutes. 
Guys, we haven't even mentioned the plants. John, first up, you brought in a whole bunch of different Australian wildflowers. I'll I'll just go really quickly. I mean, I I was walking around the Australian Garden on Friday and I I was just looking at all of these herbaceous perennials. Mm. Which you don't sort of immediately think of when you're talking Australian natives, do you? No, you don't. Uh, And there there is a photograph of a posy uh, of of these. um, It's up on our Facebook page. Facebook page. But we've got um, some some little daisies. That's a, a... and a mobium, uh, the, uh, quite a number of Veronicas, so they're sort of hebes or parahebes or um, whatever they were called. Whatever, yes, <laughs> but there's uh, Veronica arenaria and another quite rare one from the Alps called Veronica nidia. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's a lovely uh, uh, restio uh, type thing which is called Meboldina, which is a it's a it, you'd call it a Landscapers would call it a grass, but yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, a rush. Yeah, it's a rush. Yeah, yeah. Um, with these gorgeous, gorgeous brown russety uh, florets, it's, um, mm. it's that would sit comfortably in any herbaceous border. But I, I guess the point was that there are a range of Australian plants that could be co-mingled with achillea and a co-mingled yeah. with the things that you would normally. And they, look they look cottagey. They look cottagey. You know, they in in that sort of old sense yep. of the cottage yeah. gardening. Yes, yep. yes, indeed. They all look so cottagey yeah. that you could sit them in with your lupins and your delphiniums. Exactly. And your, yeah. you know, any of those sort of plants, and yet they're Australian natives. Yes. So there yeah. you go. Yeah, there you go. So it was, uh, there are Australian natives that you can incorporate into your perennial border, and they'd sit there very comfortably. And, and there's a big, and they're beautiful. And we have a big they're handful really of them. They're really gorgeous. In yeah. fact, can I give these to you, um, Pam? <laughs> I won't say no, John. <laughs> there we go. Thank Stick you. Stick them in a vase. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Stephen. All right, I'll quickly go through a couple of my plants. I don't think we've got time to do them all. No, um, I've brought down a really interesting uh, Chinese maple, uh, Asa elegantulum. Um, it's a southern Chinese maple, so it's comparatively heat tolerant and oh, nice. it's quick growing. Its new growth comes out with a lovely sort of shrimpy, coppery colour. It colours quite nicely in the autumn, going in yellows and oranges. And it's reasonably quick growing and would make a nice, smallish tree in a, in a, in a suburban sized garden. Uh, so that's Asa uh, elegantulum, which is a nice name for it because it is very elegant. Um, and uh, uh, something that Never presents well in a pot, and John will attest to this, looking at my <laughs> specimen I bought him, is a, a South American plant called Cantua, Cantua buxifolia. And it's a, a shrub that comes up and arches over. It's, it's actually one of those plants that disappears into the garden most of the year. But when it comes out with its huge, big cerise bell flowers that hang off the branches that look completely disproportionate to the leaf size and everything else. It's extraordinary. It is yes. so spectacular. I think they call it something naff, like sacred flower of the Incas or some damn thing. Yes, yes things with names like that. Yep. Uh, but Cantu is one of those things that is the nurseryman's bane because you can never present it well in a pot. It always <laughs> looks scruffy and awful. Uh, but when you see a well-grown plant in a garden in full bloom, it's a knockout. It's really spectacular. Yeah. Oh, it is. Truly wonderful. It is. Flowers Stunning. On. And there's several different forms around. There's a sort of yellow with cerise markings in it and white. Uh, there's this straight cerise one. Uh, so there's a range of different Cantuas out there, but they all have that sort of arching habit. They can be quite elegant in bloom, but they sort of disappear when they're not in flower, you wouldn't notice they were there. Um, but yeah, I get people looking at it all the time in flower and wanting it, and then I go down and say, "Well, here's one," <laughs> and, and they look at me as if I'm trying to sell them something that's near, near enough to dead. But there you go. But it's not. So we probably haven't got time for any more. That'll do it, won't uh, it? Yeah. Well, we should qu- very quickly mention your garden is opening oh, yes. again next weekend, 10 till 4:30, 8 to 10 Centenary Avenue, parking in Marshall Avenue, and there's Calum also open, 3 Church Street, Macedon as well. So plenty to do next weekend. Excellent. And I have to say a huge thank you 
to Liz, who's been doing the phones for about 10 years, would you believe? She's mm. been one of those staunch volunteers. And Liz, we're all going to miss you. Thank you so much. We've really appreciated having you and being part of the 3CR family. So on, thank you very much. Okay, that's all we have time for for today. But, of course, as usual, we will be back next Sunday morning at uh, 9.30. Nine, what am I talking about? <laughs> I won't be here at all. Ah, <laughs> oh, dearie me, never mind. Seven, 7.30, not 9.30. We finish at 9.15. 7.30, we'll be back next week. Until then, bye for now.